Nicolas Cage is probably one of our generation's definitive actors. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's keeping well in the world right now. Hello everybody, Matt Guy here, ready to deep dive the world's strangest fucking erotic film in history. I think erotic film is doing it, I say doing it an injustice, but I don't know how to feel, you know? I, I'm, I'm so baffled by this. Um... I, I, I've got no words left in my in my entire brain. There's nothing to say about this film, which is not a good thing, obviously, because we've literally just started. But I've never seen anything like it in my life. I, I, I just I don't like when we come to suggesting something that's like it. I don't think there is anything like it. There's probably a reason for that, <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost like a it, it's psychedelic. Hello. I, want to, I want to address like the elephant in the room here, and that is, like you know, something like this that would have been on, and your parents would have been in the room, <laughs> like, like really awkward. But I had that when my own wife was in the room, and this was on, <laughs> and I was like, oh god, I don't want to be watching this in front of her because it's so like, it's so in your face, Bush. I'm not got a problem with Bush up the bush, <laughs> however. It's just, it's because I think because it's like, I don't know, is it like mid 80s, uh, like late 80s as well? It's 1991. Oh, is it 91? It's just because it just looks CD because of the quality of the film as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no like 1080p level uh, uh, quality, is it? So it, mm, exactly. it, it does have like this, uh, this element of 8mm to it. it. It's a bit grim and grotty almost, isn't it? You know what? It wouldn't surprise me if there is no like HD transfer of this film. We we will get to that um, as as it goes on because yeah, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, hopes and fears on this film, gents. Like literally, all I knew going into this film was that it wasn't Nick Cage's best reviewed film. But the title Zandali, I I was expecting it to be sci-fi. I don't know if I'd got it mixed up with Xanadu, maybe, the uh, Olivia Newton-John movie or song. But this is not at all what I was expecting going in. Matt, did you have any idea at all about this one? Well, no. And and, and on the kind of barometer of how easy it is to get an illegal copy of this film, it was incredibly difficult. Like We had to go as probably the most extreme in terms of having to try and get it by weird ways. So <laughs> I'll describe how, just in case, by some divine miracle, someone from this film's production team is listening. I doubt it hardly, but um, we got it in the end. But I had no idea this film even existed. And with the title, I just assumed it was, yeah, like a sci-fi-y kind of Lynchian kind of film, I think. Mm. Stu, what about yourself, mate? I mean, our, the excitement level was seeing the judge in this as well. well seeing them on the screen together. So, I mean, 80s, 90s Judge Reinhold is... I love Judge Reinhold. Great. Um, at, at that time, not now so much, obviously. Um, 
But yeah, a kind of mixture of intrigue and like we always say with these ones where the why are they as obscure as they are? Why does no one talk about it? Why does no one know about it? And it became obvious within a minute why no one talks about it and why no one knows about it. Um, but yeah, again, it was going in. I went in blind, but then I had to pause it after five minutes to look on IMDb to see what the hell was going on. So I had no idea what the film was even about. <laughs> yeah, it is something else, isn't it? Um, the cast. So you've mentioned Judge Reinhold. Um Possibly the most nineties actor who's ever lived. I think he very much had his heyday in the late eighties, early nineties. Best known probably for the um, Beverly Hills Cop movies. I think would yeah. be fair to say. Erica Anderson, who played Zandali, I'd never heard of her before this film. When I looked at IMDb, apparently she was in Twi- Twin Peaks, which is always very highly regarded, even though I haven't seen that myself. Plus, we've got Joe Pantoliano, Steve Buscemi, Marissa Tomei are all in it. So, you know, they've gone on to have very good careers. So, like, the lineup sounds <laughs> quite promising, um, albeit they don't have massive parts in this, this movie. But I was like, low-key, I thought, okay, it'll be well-acted, if nothing else. Uh, the director is a Sam Pillsbury. No idea who this person is. They've got 33 directing credits to their names. I haven't seen a single film of theirs, but the only one I've heard of is Free Willy 3, The Rescue. (laughs) Not even Free Willy 1 or 2, the third one for some reason. Uh, Pillsbury's last directing credit came in 2009. National Lampoon's Endless Bummer. Never heard of it. And like National Lampoon's... It sort of went the way of another series that we were discussing just before, American Pie, um, where they had all these just a shitload of sequels that were real dirge, like you had The Naked Mile. And I think Endless Bummer was the National Lampoon's version of that. It was a a no-name, no-laughs comedy from 2009. Uh, IMDb describes this film as... Thierry's wife, Sandalie, married the poet he once was. Taking over his dad's company, New Orleans, gives him stress and impotence. Thierry meets high school buddy Johnny at a bachelor party. The painter Johnny can satisfy Sandalie. <laughs> what a really fucking confusingly written blurb for a film. That is terrible. <laughs> it's like it's been translated from Welsh. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, right, okay. <clears throat> so this film opens up and we get boobs and bush within five minutes. Best Nick Cage film ever. <laughs> we get some domestic bliss between Judge Reinhold's Thierry Martin and Erica Anderson's Zanderly Martin. Right, his name is Thierry, as in Henri. Um, but they pronounce it Thierry almost. Yeah. Like, I don't know if it's because it's not proper French, it's American French. So that pissed me off all the way through that they weren't pronouncing it properly. Steve Buscemi plays a horny bin man. <laughs> Therese is now at a bachelor party. The batch boys suck squirty cream off a boob and we get to see at least five other titties. So <laughs> on the boob counter already, that's eight. This is if like this... Game of Thrones level of, of It is, isn't boobies. it, yeah. Uh, if the film keeps up this sort of ratio, we will end up with another 88 boobs before the credits roll. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wow. Yeah. After the bachelor sucks the cream and sits back, <laughs> we see in the background a silhouette of a man, arms either side of a doorway, waiting for some reason. stop you there, Andy? <laughs> All I could think of is what is... What is Shinsuke Nakamura doing in this film? (laughs) (laughs) The way he's just kind of stood, like, like in the. I was like, "What the hell is going on here? This is the fucking most bizarre thing I've ever seen." (laughs) He he was pulling off a bit of a uh, bit of a Brucey sort of pose, wasn't he, in the doorway? And then he comes in and he just headbangs to no music from what I can remember. It was really bizarre. And Nick Cage looked like a 1990s musketeer with that really <laughs> strange facial hair thing that he had going on and his long flowing locks. He says hello to Terry, uh, then squirts some cream over the naked woman and licks it off her. Terry and Johnny go home. Terry meets Zanderley and immediately tries to fuck her. <laughs> In true film noir fashion, Zanderley and Johnny share a cigarette. Tari and Johnny were friends from college, but Johnny took the money and ran to go paint instead. Without creativity, without life, then you are truly unable to go straight up the devil's ass, looking right in the face, smile and survive. What does that even mean? (laughs) It meant nothing at all. (laughs) Johnny wants to paint Tari's portrait. Has Cage ever looked rattier than he does in this film? He looks pretty horrendous, I thought. It's the weird, like, kind of... It's not even a mullet, is it? It's just like he's... It's almost like he's been to have his hair cut and then left halfway through. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it, 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 it's, not, it's not like Chris Waddle levels. And it, but it's kind of semi-rock, like semi-kind of... like You'd, you'd expect him in, in, in the credit, an Aerosmith gig or something. And mm-hmm. it's just really odd. And obviously, he's had wigs that are worse than this. But then you look and you think we didn't have we didn't have wig watch back then in in the nineties. This is his actual hair, and it looks ten times worse than all that nonsense that we've already seen over the last two years. Horrendous. I would like to say I don't think he'd be in an Aerosmith concert. I think he'd be in like a Mister Big concert. He would be (laughs) pulling out the acoustic guitar. He's an acoustic rocker, not a proper rocker at this point. Uh, It's fifteen minutes, Matt. What do you think of the opening? Well, because it has all the hallmarks of, I don't want to say hipster, but I don't want to say independent either, because I think that he's doing independent films a disservice, but it has all the elements of just like something trying to be experimental, but for the sake of it, like the whole film felt like you were watching a stage performance just on location. As opposed, mm. you know, it felt like you were watching a theatre production, not a film, because of almost how hokey some of the performances were <laughs> in, in parts. But at this point, I was a was I bored? No. Was I interested to to you know because they they do the deeds so early that you think, well, there's no story to be told here unless there's a murder. It was like my first thought was unless there's a murder, there's no way they can keep this plot going. Because they've they've shagged within about twenty minutes of the, of the film's opening, so I, I just wanted to know: is this going to descend into chaos or not? Essentially, mm. Stu, what did you think of the opening? I mean, arguing back to what you said a couple of weeks ago, 
If this had been in Korean and black and white, he'd have been overexcited, wouldn't he, by this point? Because it is... I think art house is what you're looking for. Yes. Um, Because it is truly bizarre that nothing really makes any sense. And it's obviously... It's almost like it's wearing its its 80s tits on its sleeve, but at the same time not, because there's no actual genuine 80s boobs in this, which was very annoying. Um, I was expecting that, but no. Again, a, a far from bored, and obviously I I watched this in the middle of the afternoon. I had to lock myself in the back room because <laughs> the kids didn't come in, and obviously they they weren't unattended to. Let's just get that right now. But again, I didn't want anyone walking in when I was watching this. It was like you're 38 years old and you're feeling like a 13 year old again with your, your box of tissues and your wanking sock, and it's. <laughs> Again, just baffled by what was happening. Because, like I said earlier, I had to look at what the actual plot of the film was because it seemed like it was going to go down the murder route and it wouldn't have shocked you if it was. But it also wouldn't have shocked you if, like, a carrier pigeon flew in and he started talking French to it. Like, <laughs> anything could have happened at this point. Yeah, it could have been birdie at any point. Exactly. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it had very much birdie vibes about it to start with. Again, I, was, I wasn't bored. I was more intrigued. Yeah, I think I was exactly the same. I got like a strong whiff of the room off this straight away. It had that mostly badly acted melodrama to it straight away. And like I wasn't bored at all, but I thought this this is going to stink. Uh, I don't think I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so the morning after, we, Zand- we see Zanderley at work. She's a seamstress. She's helping Joe Pantoliano try dresses on. <laughs> we get some tension between Zandali and Terry. He's stressed because work stuff following the passing of his father. She's stressed because she wants to get pounded. We see more boobs when Joey Pants and Zan go to a bar and they see a couple dancing on the stage. The boob count is now up to 16. Zan kisses some rando dude whilst at this bar, then sneaks back home waking Terry and then she gets her wobbos out again. During their sex time, she makes Therese make him say her name. So she tells him to tell her to say his name. Why don't you just say his name, love? That's a bit odd. It wasn't sexy either. Like at any point, I didn't find any of the, the sex stuff to be particularly sexy in this film. It was a bit weird. Mm. And then she stops and cries, which was <laughs> strange. Mm. She then diddles herself whilst looking at Therese and crying. Then and she then says, he gets mad. And then he gets mad. She then says she wishes he was a paraplegic. <laughs> he then catches a lizard. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what happened. It is. Catches a lizard that she's thrown a book at. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's an incredible film, this is. Like, you know, sometimes you get th- through a film and you just think, what the fuck am I watching here? <laughs> and, and that's all I kept asking myself throughout this film. It was amazing. Whilst on her morning jog the day after, she runs into Bashemi again, who is on the run from, from some cops. They then see Johnny, who invites her to the gun show, showing off his piddly little, what was it, a, bla- a black rose of fate tattoo on his arm. I don't know what he was doing there. Johnny finishes his painting of Therese, and everyone seems to hate it. Therese goes to hang it up in the bedroom. Johnny forces himself on Zanderley. 
He is literally in the adjoining room at this point, and the door is open whilst he's trying to get fingers deep in her. It's uncomfortable. The following day, Johnny goes to see Zan, and she tells him to fuck off. He says, "We're inevitable. I want to take you naked. Oh, sorry, I want to shake you naked and eat you alive." <laughs> Which was enough for her to completely change her mind. She whips off her pants and he's fingers in her in the alley. Like we're getting some proper rutting sex scenes that come up <laughs> next as well. And obviously more boobs. Therese invites Johnny to a meal that night. Johnny takes a date, which is Marissa Tomei. And then he fills up Zanderley under the table and then gets a gob job in the ki- kitchen and fucks her on the washing machine. Again, <laughs> in the room next to everybody else. Therese suspects that something is going on, which, I mean, they'd been in the kitchen for 20 minutes at that point, so it doesn't take a pissing genius, does it? The next scene is more of sex between Johnny and Zan, before she decides mid-ride that she can't do it anymore. Johnny says to Zandali, when I'm inside you, I feel lost at the edge of the universe, <laughs> travelling, exploring. Roll over on your stomach and we'll fuck like animals in the altar of the primal. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, this is this is some of the kind of indie <laughs> nonsense that I've heard people use, like in the past. So, like when people are in like their like mid to late twenties, they've just come out of uni, they're trying to find themselves, they're on their gap yard, and they don't know like, and they they. People turn to this kind of stuff and talk to each other like this as if it means something and try to find <laughs> meaning to it. And I've, I've heard people as pretentious of this in the wild, in real life, that just talk like as if star signs exist and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and it's just, th- this was probably like the realest bit of the film in that like there are people that believe that they can charm yeah. men and women in this way. <laughs> yeah, there's it. There's a guy at, at Yearly, Damien. He um, he was from Hull, of all places, and he spoke like this, but no, not in not in just a, like to to pull birds kind of way. He just spoke like it, like it really, like oh, I'm at Uni Yard, like pretentious nonsense, and mm-hmm. like to kind of I don't know, make himself seem more in- intelligent than everyone else. Yeah, um, it's just truly bizarre behaviour. Um, yeah. I've seen him in 20 years. There's a reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everything he speaks sounds like a riddle almost. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's just baffling. Yeah, I know the, the source. <clears throat> uh, we see Joey Pants once again in Zanderley's shop. He's trying on lingerie. I don't understand what is going on with his character at all. Like, he seems totally superfluous to the movie. He just sort of rocks up every now and again, swings a fucking golf club at someone on the street because they're, like, selling drugs outside the store, and then he fucks off again. He has no real bearing, but it's Joe Pentagliano. It's a bit bizarre. There's a few characters in this film that actually, if, if this was a semi-decent film and they gave a slight bit of time for development, you, there might be something there. Like the the ultimate warrior barman who had those <laughs> like the, the things around his arm, like yeah, something like you know, and the guy who um, was in Gremlins, I forget his name, um, you know, the art dealer. He, you know, yeah. like there's the story. There's a story there, and like it just felt like these these characters were either brought in and they realised that they couldn't make a three hour film, so I had to cut a load of story, <laughs> or they just were given creative license to try and 
get something of a character in there because it's bizarre. Like it's just weird excerpts of of, of people and personality but without any explanation. Yeah, it's just no context whatsoever for anybody, is there? Johnny then tries to fuck Sanderley in a church. <laughs> Then asks her to move in with him. Zanderley says no to both things. Then he bundles her into a confession booth and does more sex on her. And then Cage looks to heaven and says, thank you, Father. (laughs) Yeah, God, that was weird. (laughs) Eventually, Zanderley goes to talk to her husband. She begins to tell him that she's been smooshing booties with Johnny. But Tariq cuts her off and says he does not want to know anything. Johnny sees Tari in a bar. Tari says that Zan had taken a lover, but he's forgiving her, and they're going on a trip tomorrow to the bayou where he and Johnny spent their time as younger men, and they will start over. Tari says for all he knows, Zandali's lover could be Johnny. Johnny tells Tari that he thinks Tari is lost. That's the end of the second act. What do you think, Matt? How are you feeling at this point? So at this point, my suspicions are all but confirmed in that this is a murder. There's a murder is going to take place or it's going to descend into some form of crime because, you know, it's, it's building to a showdown, I guess, where we know that, you know, the bayou. Has there ever been a more dangerous place for someone in film to go to than a bayou? <laughs> There's always someone lost to an alligator in a bayou. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, like... Because I finally at least thought there was a sense of direction, I was like, okay, I understand where this is going now. It's all building up to a climax of some description. Um, It was just enough to keep me interested in the plot, but, you know, I already knew this film's absolute hot steaming dog shit. (laughs) But I at least wanted to see how it ended. Yeah, which is more than can be said for some of the other films that we've seen Mm, in fairness. Yeah. Stu, how are you feeling? I mean, I, uh, there were points where I was having to wipe my eyes. I was laughing that much. <laughs> I'm glad you said your eyes. Yeah, it's not um, in any way. I mean, unless you're like a 13-year-old boy in the pre-internet days, you ain't getting off on this film. Um, it's just too odd. And, but again, I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was it was baffling me because it is so awful, and but it's you know you're transfixed with it, and it doesn't make any sense. And I know we say this quite a bit, but there was obviously we're not meant to be laughing at it, but it had kind of entered that the room, yeah. like kind of zone for me at this point. And I was like, well, it's just getting more and more ridiculous, and the, and the fact that. Thierry, Terry, whatever, had started off the film as a kind of semi-normal-ish bloke, and he just descends into absolute madness. Um, almost like uh, Cage was in Mandy, mm-hmm. it, it, but in a, it, it, like, the lunacy rather than the violence. And I was just I was just giggling to myself, and I, I couldn't help it, and I was transfixed with it, and, and I know I shouldn't have been, and I thought... In any normal world, you'd have said, no, this is nonsense and turn it off. But there was no looking at phones at all. It, it was, I, I was so engrossed with it because it was so bad. Mm, exactly the same. I, I 
I wanted to know what was going to happen because <laughs> it just kept getting stranger and stranger as the film was going on. And it, like, as soon as I thought, okay, this is where it's going to be. It then wasn't, it then came out with some ridiculous comedic line that completely threw me for a loop. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. And in the best possible way as well, I think not in the best possible way for the filmmakers, because I'm guessing they didn't expect us to, laugh at it i think they wanted us to feel turned on or something i don't quite know what they were aiming for but yeah i was enjoying enjoying it quite a lot to be fair i i don't think this is ever meant to be sexy i think it's meant to be a deep dive into the exploration of the human condition and, <laughs> and uh, morality and all that you know but mm. well, it's just not, is it, at all? It's not, because like you said, it's pretentious student wanker stuff going on in here. Like, it's not... There's no, They're trying to be portentous with the lines that they come out with, and it's just comedic nonsense. When, when you actually break it down and look at what they've said, it's ridiculous. When he rolls his eyes and looks to the heavens to say, <laughs> thank you, Father, when he's having sex in a... Like, that, that is comedy. I would expect to see that in, like, a fucking... Austin Powers, like, it's that kind of silliness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To Rhea and Zan have sex, which she remarks midway through, see, all our parts do work, which reminded me of the Cage classic City of Angels when <laughs> when he was surprised that D went into V and said, we were made to fit together. That was all I could think of at that yeah. point. To Rhea goes to grab something from a bar, and there he sees Johnny, Zandalee didn't know about this. We get a scene where Tari and Johnny dance some kind of weird tango <laughs> on the dock together. It was really odd. Tari then pulls a gun out. Zan tells him it's over. Then they go all out on the bayou on a boat. Johnny is controlling the boat and Tari is making him go faster and faster until Tari falls out of the boat. Johnny slaps Zandalee. She dives in the water to save Tari. Johnny jumps into the water to save Zandalee. Like, I'm convinced at this point as well that Cage must have had a hair transplant at some point in his life. Like you can see yeah. a, a bit of an egg in the nest showing through in that. <laughs> like we we know these things, don't we, gents? We we spot yeah. it a mile off. We know our own. Therese's well. <laughs> <laughs> dead, and I'm not entirely sure how that happened because he just seemed to stop. Like he just sank. I, I don't know how he died in the water. I'm guessing he's supposed to have drowned, but it didn't like, look like it was deep water, and he didn't try. It was weird. They said it in a, in a minute, don't they? Like she said that, he, like he said, he he. It was like he killed himself. Is that after after he bites him on the neck, <laughs> he's trying to save him, and like he says, he, he was a good swimmer. He's like he, he didn't want to be saved, so he's effectively killed himself. But he's drowned himself, which seems improbable to be able to do. Well, it, it does when he was on his back. Like it, it's not like he was face down in the water when he did it. He wasn't unconscious. But really bizarre. Did you did you think it was going to go gay for a minute there when they were dancing that tango thing? I yeah, I I thought okay, so the twist is going to be that Johnny's also been fucking Terry throughout this whole film, and we just didn't know about it because it was all strange, really, really odd. Yeah, it was a bit like when. Um... You see it in House of Cards, where Frank, um, when he, he takes, is, is he his secretary or something? Um, his male secretary, and he leads him. He, he, there's no hint of him being boy or anything throughout the whole series. I think it's like season three or four. 
and then he just takes him with a threesome. You think, well, that came out of nowhere. <laughs> and obviously, you look back now, and it being a bit of spaciness, and you think, oh, that's a bit, a bit off. Um, <laughs> but it it, it, came, it was like that. It came out of nowhere, and I thought, is this going to go this way? And uh, I'm I'm not convinced that that wasn't the idea. No, I think you, you've possibly stumbled onto something there, Stu. <clears throat> Zanderley is, is at Therese's gravesite. Steve Buscemi rocks up again out of nowhere, asks how she's been because she looks terrible. <laughs> she blames herself for Therese's death. Johnny has become self-destructive. He goes to see Zan. With Therese out of the picture, they can now have a future together. Now on the street, Johnny's drug supplier drives by and shoots at him. Zanderley shields him and she is killed. The film ends with Johnny cradling a dead Zanderley and Joey Pants appears once again from nowhere with no real purpose. <laughs> the end. Uh, so the end of the film, Matt, what did you think? Oh, you know, the only reason I said about kind of morality and everything else is everybody just dies. It's like, it's, it's like they wanted to make this like a Shakespearean tragedy, but... It's just not, is it? No, it's not. It doesn't have the complexity, or it doesn't have like the the script or the dialogue to, to do any of that. I'm, you know, credit to them. I'm glad that they nearly everyone was dead. It felt like all the characters deserved a cruel punishment, um, because no one's very likable in this film at all. Like, no, you're not rooting for anybody. You're not rooting for Cage. Definitely not rooting for Cage. You're not rooting for. Thierry or Terry, and you're not rooting to Vizandali either. So, you know, the only one that's happy is the grandma, who's also been having an affair for years <laughs> and is a horrible person. So, like, this, like, I think it's just, I think the message of this film is just everybody's a dickhead. Like, don't trust anybody, Austin, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, the ending, like, it, it makes no sense, I guess, because of all of, of you know, it's just a nothing. It's just is it for shock value. I don't know. Stu, what did you think of the end? <laughs> kind of the same, really. That they were all so. What's the word? Cunts. So, <laughs> like the levels of self-importance for every single person in this film is amazing. Like every single person, every single one of them is out for themselves. Mm. Like Thierry, Terry, whatever. Which we've got no definitive way of or reason of how he sp- says his name, so we can take the piss out of him once we want to. Yeah. Um, he's the only one, and he just doesn't seem to know what he is. Whereas, whereas you got Joe the transvestite pissing about just with no purpose, just again enjoying life. She just wants to get fucked by whoever she wants, anyone and anyone. He's <laughs> Cage is all about her, regardless of her being his best mate's wife. And then you, and you think, well, good. You can all suffer. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, does it? And I didn't I, I didn't expect them to, to bump her off. I thought, I, I did think it was going to be uh, them two, they survived, but they can't be together because of the, how traumatic his, mm. de- his death was. Um, so that, that was a bit of a shock. Um the fact that it was a, like a, a lone gunman in a, in a car in a drive, <laughs> a drive-by shooting was just added to the madness of the whole thing. Um, but 
it was kind of satisfying. <laughs> I didn't hate it, which is mm. bizarre. That that stuff with the drugs was kind of out of nowhere. Mm. We do see one scene where Cage is doing some coke, but then like it turns out that he's been selling drugs on the side for this dude who's then wants his money back. Like that feels very much out of nowhere because it's not really explained that he's also a drug dealer as well as a user. So, I, I mean, like there's plenty of things to knock this film for and like it's coherent storytelling is definitely one of them. I thought. Mm. So yeah, I thought that was a bit shit to be perfectly honest. Uh, anyway, moving on, I could not find anything on Google regarding the budget or box office return on this <laughs> one. Literally, all I could find was that Zandali was released in the United States on July the 18th, 1991, as a video premiere. So it was straight to VHS. So, I mean, that gives a pretty good indication then that the studios had no faith in this doing anything at the, the cinema, which is understandable having seen it. Um, any guesses what was the number one song when this was released in the UK? It was released on the 8th of May, sorry, the 10th of May, 1991. Any idea what the number one single would be? I'll give you a clue. It's a song from a movie. Bodyguard soundtrack. It's not. It's it's a female singer, but it wasn't Whitney. Well, Madonna. Not is Madonna. No. Um, it is Share the Shoop Shoop song from <laughs> Mermaids. Like I remember that summer, but that was, that song was huge for the summer. I don't think I've ever seen that film, but it does have Winona Ryder in, and I, I did used to have a crush on Winona Ryder back in the day. She's quite lovely. Uh, the top five box office films for 1991. Beauty and the Beast, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Silence of the Lambs and City Slickers. Uh, but there were some pretty decent films out in 1991. So you've also got Hook, Adam's Family, Naked Gun Two and a Half, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Secret of the Use, Hot Shots, part, uh, Hot Shots One, sorry, My Girl, The Last Boy Scout, Boys in the Hood. Uh, the best film of 1991 was down in 28th place, though Drop Dead Fred, which was one place ahead of Point Break. So 1991 was a pretty good year, to be fair. Banger. Good year for music mm. as well, if I remember correctly. I think uh, Guns N' Roses and Metallica had albums out in that year. Pretty yes, influential Gun- albums. Yeah, GNR would have had the soundtrack to um, Terminator, wouldn't it? Oh, God, don't tell me what's it called. Um, not Live and Let Die, it's the other one. Um, you Could Be Mine, isn't it? Yeah, You Could Be Mine, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, good year. Um have you checked the scores when you went onto IMDb, or are you okay to guess? It's going to be bad. Ain't it? It's going to be really bad. <laughs> uh, three or four, 30%. I can't, in any world, that this is going to get any more than that. No way. Matt, I'm going, I'm going a quarter, so 2.5 uh, 2. out of 10, or 1.25 stars, or whatever. On IMDb, it has got a 4.3 after 3.9 thousand votes. Um, The Rotten Tomatoes audience score was 29%. (laughs) You weren't far off, to be fair, Matt. And the Rotten Tomatoes critical score was 33%. Albeit there's only six reviews, and none of them are from like reputable critics, to be honest. Uh, So the critical response, Kevin Hennessy from Movie Line, 
intended as an artistically serious feature film about real-life eroticism, Zanderlee, for reasons no doubt mysterious to its makers, turned out so laughable and loopy that it went straight to the video shelves. As from the e-film critic, it's bafflingly slow, bafflingly strange and bafflingly bad. There's only one positive review on Rotten Tomatoes, which is from Caffeinated Clint from <laughs> Film Threat. Sexy as hell, possibly the best erotic drama since nine and a half weeks. Good gracious. Erica Anderson could melt frozen chocolate on a winter's day. <laughs> uh, the fan response from those maniacs on Amazon.com was well hidden. Um the only way to get hold of Xander Lee is on a DVD import for £22.20. <laughs> like the, It's only released in the US and there's one from Holland that you could import. So as you said earlier, Stu, there is no existence of a, a Blu-ray version of this. There is no, look, there's not even a 420 like level of quality. It's just, it'll be ported straight over from VHS. It's terrible. Um, but yeah, I did manage to find a few reviews. It got a 3.9 out of 5 stars after 59 reviews. 69% of those reviews were 4 or 5 stars. There's something kind of poetic about 69% being the uh, the total there. <laughs> uh, there's only 5 reviews which were in English. The majority of them were foreign language. There's only one that really stands out, to be honest. And this is from Mad Dog who reviewed it in the United Kingdom in 2015. <laughs> Back in 1991, when Zanderlee came out, I always wanted to see it, partly because I was young, dumb and full of cum and thought the trailer <laughs> of the film looked dirty with all the shagging it showed. <laughs> However, I resisted rushing to the happy shopper and buying a fresh box of Kleenex and shelved the film until now. I have since matured slightly since 1991 and purchased my copy of Zanderlee in 2015. And you know what? It really is a great film, but I'm glad I waited all these years to watch it because it's very adult film. Not because of the nudity, but because it's very nature and adult themes. This film is well written, well directed, well acted. In particular, Nicolas Cage in his pre-action days. <laughs> what a review. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Stu, can you give me your good, bad, and crazy on this, please? <laughs> I mean, that's a, can we can a review ever be as good as that? I mean, <laughs> the, the mention of a happy shopper more than anything else. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll mix it up. I mean, the bad was the fact that it was hit. It seemed like there was. We already mentioned earlier that there were bits missing from this that have either. Cutting room floored to get the get the duration of the film down. Um, you've got to, you kind of hope that that was the case rather than the fact that it was just written this way because so much of it doesn't make any sense and there's no need for it to be there. Um, it just seems like they've they've trimmed it down for to such a degree that plot points and like you said earlier, the characters there's no reason for them to be here at all. Mm. Um, like a seamstress's best friend being a transvestite in 1991. I mean, it's just odd. And the, the weirdest thing about in New Joey, Orleans as well. Yeah. The weirdest thing about Joey Pants is that he seems to be in Zanderlee's shop every time we go there. Like, yeah. how many times does he need to go to the seamstress in a week? Really weird. 
maybe he just kind of hangs out there like you you know then people are like um on be kind rewind where they just go in the video shop and just to look at things and talk about films yeah yeah and I think I don't expect to be comparing that to this, but <laughs> in, in that kind of that kind of way, that he's a enthusiast of uh, women's clothing and fair play to him. Um, but yeah, it just there was too many threads. Ironically, um, <laughs> it, it, it was just all, too all over the place to make any real sense. I mean, the good the good part about it was that it, it's unintentionally amazing, like the room is. But obviously, it's not intended to be like this. And watching it thirty odd years later, in a kind of semi-ironic way, now this is one of the greatest bad films I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Again, you, it is, yeah. it's it's just truly bizarre. And like I said, I mean, I spent the first two thirds of the film just giggling to myself and laughing at, literally laughing out loud at points. Not in a not in a good way because it's obviously not meant that way, but because it's so ludicrous and so stupid, and you can't help but laugh. I mean, if you watch this, if you watch this on an after, like in Christmas week when you've had a few bevies and you're off work, this could be one of the funniest things you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> so it's 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 just out there, and it, obviously it's revisionist history that the fact that this is the way we have to see this film now because you can't take this seriously. No one can. It's too bad to be taken seriously. Mm. Um, I mean, they're crazy that the fact that this doesn't exist anywhere, um, like a lot of these obscure cage films. But the fact that you had him and Judge Ronald looking so odd, even even for the early nineties, and the weird kind of chemistry with them, like they seemed like friends, but then they hated hated each other. Then they could have been lovers. It's just weird beyond belief. Yeah. And again, if it was cut bits that now don't make any sense or the fact that it was really badly written, it doesn't really matter because it's just bizarre. And that is the crazy thing about it. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Matt, what have you got? Well, the good thing, I guess, is the very, very short amount of moral panic that. Zandali and Cage's character go through once Terry's dead. <laughs> There's about five minutes where they are obviously showing guilt and remorse and actually some actual character work. So five minutes of this hour and a half is okay. Um, <laughs> Low-hanging fruit, to say the least. The bad, the bad is that it exists in our <laughs> plane of consciousness. The, you know, it's just it's it's amateur dramatics on the big screen. Like it, it just mm. doesn't feel like it should exist because it's it feels like it's been done as a project piece, it, 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 and using that as an excuse to be able to see boobs and 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 and, <laughs> and vag because it, it's it's almost as if someone like has unwittingly arranged a, a life drawing class. Just so they can see naked women, <laughs> and they've done it under the ruse of it being an erotic film. That's mm. just how it feels. That something's happened here, and like people have just got along with it for the hell of it and give it a budget. Um, the, the crazy really is, I've never known a film that I can honestly say would have been better if it was a musical. Than this. <laughs> if this was a musical, it could have excused it because 
as I mentioned earlier, it, there is a there is a stage performance feel about this, but it's not on a stage. If it was a musical, it at least might have given it a reason to be so weird because all of a sudden it breaks out into song. Mm-hmm. So I actually think it's a musical. It could have worked, which is just crazy in itself. Yeah. I'm with you on that, actually. I never thought of that before, but how funny would it have been just to have a song midway through about Tareen not being able to get a hard-on? I know, exactly. <laughs> so that, that would have made this film even better. Right, yeah. uh, done by Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, my good... Like, it was 90 minutes. It, it wasn't... It didn't overstate its welcome. It, it got in, told a strange little story and fucked off quite quickly. I laughed more than I've laughed at some comedies. <laughs> I, I, I did sort of enjoy it for the so bad it's good. And and it is up there with The Wicker Man on that level. It's weirdly going to go in that category with City of Angels of films I should really hate and didn't because of the fact that I generally had a good time with the movie. The bad is that, as you've both pointed out, it felt like all of the side characters had absolutely no character, to be perfectly honest. They just merely existed in the the world of Johnny and Zan. And it, it felt very lightweight because of that. Like, I want to know a bit more about Joey Pant. I want to know why Steve Buscemi is kind of dossing around the city and doing <laughs> weird things. Like it's all a bit bizarre and there's not enough enough depth outside of their main story. There's no B plot, we've just got an A plot, and that A plot wasn't particularly strong in the best possible way anyway. So the crazy is how closely I felt that this mirrored the room. So obviously it's a story about a man who want well, in the room it's a case of he wants to get a promotion, whereas in this one he does get a promotion. Things go badly. He's his best friend is knocking off his wife or soon-to-be wife as it is in the room. They both end with a death. One of them, he kills himself in this one. She steps in front of the bullet knowingly. But there were weirdly a few beats that were in both of those films. And like I mentioned on this podcast loads of times, but I love The Room. It is such an iconic, terrible film. And I don't understand how I've never heard of this movie before because it's exactly that kind of movie. So did you enjoy the film, Stu? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for exactly what you've just said, um, the room and the... You know, when, when we watched the, um, the, the film about the room and you think this world can't get any more fucking bizarre anymore, and then you see this and enjoy it, <laughs> and have a great old hour and a half watching this non- absolute nonsense bollocks. But I really did enjoy it. And after after a couple of minutes, I thought, well, this is this is going to be like bottom five stuff. But it's nowhere near. Absolutely nowhere near. I mean, obviously, it's it's not even getting it's not getting in the top ten. Obviously, that's that be stupid. But no, for pure enjoyment factor. This is one of the funniest films I've seen for a long, long time. And again, like we said, it doesn't, it shouldn't be taken that that way, but it is because it's shit. But for that reason alone, I enjoyed it way more than I should have done. 
Matt, did you have a good time with this? No, fucking good. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had I, I had my drafts ready to hand in my resignation to the podcast. <laughs> drove me, it drives me to despair after to watch some of this drivel. Uh, no, I, I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, unfortunately, uh, it's just not my bag. This kind of silly nonsense. How much of the film did you watch with your dear wife? Not a lot, thankfully. Um, <laughs> okay. okay. More like the final third than where the boob counter went off went off the scale. Really, we, okay. we, we'd, we'd we'd had our fill of uh, today. <laughs> we, we certainly did. <laughs> um, I, I enjoyed it. I'll be honest. It, it's a fucking terrible film, but <laughs> I had fun with it. And it, it's not like you said, Stuart, it's not going to be in the top five. It's not going to be in the bottom five. It's going to be in the five films I should hate but don't alongside Captain Corelli's Mandolin <laughs> and City of Angels. It's got its own special place in this world. Like, I'm glad it exists, even though it was absolute dog dirt. So, yeah. Uh, but based on this film and this film alone, was Cage good or was Cage bad? Matt? Can't believe I say this, but I think he was good. <laughs> no, I think he was good because I, th- I think he plays the exact brief he was given. And of all of the people that commit to their character, I think he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get the scene where he covers himself in black paint. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and he must have, like, does he actually say the words black it all out? Yeah. Or yeah. Something like that. And I just think, like, in his head, in Cage's head, he thinks this is a piece of art house Sundance Festival winning beauty. Mm. And it's not that at all. However, I, I I don't think he's bad in this film. I think he plays the brief exactly how he should. He's just in a terrible film. I don't think yeah. he's bad in the film. That's fair. Stu, what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> it's. I mean... From the very entrance, like we said, the, the Bruce Forsyth stance, and how how can you that be your first entrance into a film, and it not be on the good side of things? Um, it's crazy cage off the scale at times. Like I said, the the paint scene was just it was just the it was the icing on the cake, and I thought the, it, where where do you go from here? <laughs> but a, a, a Drug deal, drive-by shooting, of course. Um, yeah, he was fine. It wasn't bad. Um, we had enough crazy cage in there to, uh, to tick all the good boxes. So there were some bad performances in, in his film, but he wasn't one of them. So <laughs> amazingly, he's going in the good category. You know, surprisingly for me, I, I was all ready to say, no, I don't think Cage was good in this film. Because he gave this really sort of over-the-top, pretentious bollocks performance. He's taught me round on it, actually. <laughs> he didn't do that because he's a bad actor. He did that because Johnny is a pretentious dickhead. So, actually, I think he did do the brief. Like, that was the... That's what he needed to do, was come in and do that nonsense. And that's what he did. So, like, you've completely swayed me on that one. I, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting to say it, but, yeah, I think he did well. Because like, that script was absolutely awful. And he, he delivered some of those lines with all of the gusto that he could possibly manage. And surely he must have known 
saying, I want to shake you naked and eat you alive. He must have known <laughs> that that was cringeworthy bollocks, even back in 1991. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah you, you've won me round, gents, on that one. So we'll, we'll go with the good for, for this one. I mean, is that the first time this has ever happened? Because it feels like it. I, I think it might be. I think it might be. <laughs> right, so last question. Finish the sentence. If you enjoyed Zandali, you might also like Matt. Uh, it's a, a Nick Cage film we've actually already covered. And basically, if you want to get a lob on at a Nick Cage film, watch Grand Isle instead. <laughs> <laughs> because that, um, you know, that is a genuine pant tightener in parts that made my tummy feel funny. <laughs> so, you know, it's, there's actually some sexiness to that film if that's what you're after. It's true. I mean, that was. <laughs> shockingly on on my list of things to say because like I said at the start there's not you can't really compare it to anything at all I mean it, if you want to watch some kind of like softcore porn then you're going to find like, the box set of the Red Shoe Diaries or whatever or, but more than anything else it, it kind of reminded me of Emmanuel <laughs> which there's no real plot to Emmanuel it's just shit sex <laughs> the, the, the whole film and as a, as a, again, as a, a teenage boy, you'd love that kind of stuff, and I I very much did. Um, and that video got oh, you know when it, when you, you you need the track when the tracking goes because the light you've watched it so many times <laughs> it was like that in the end it was it was battered to the end of its life. At the time, it was I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, other or Channel Five on a, on a Friday night. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, mine is Colour of Night. Get the director's cut, which is two hours, 40 minutes long. Bruce Willis plays a psychiatrist who takes over his friend's um, self-help group. And it turns out that one of the people in the self-help group may be a murderer. Bruce Willis gets his cock out. He has sex in a heavily chlor- chlorinated pool. Scott Bakula's in it. Brad Dourif's in it. Lance Henriksen appear as well. It's very sexy. It's very bad. It's very fun. It's very Zanderly. But just, it's really fucking long is the only problem. But yeah. Stu, I'm a, I would be amazed if you haven't seen it. It's a Bruce Willis film. Colour of Night. Colour of Night. It's it's shockingly shit. It, yeah. But fun. I'm adding it now. It, it, it does ring a bell. I mean, talking about Bell, I'm pretty sure there was one. There was, and I don't go back and do it, but if you freeze frame it, I'm sure you can see Nick's little coppola because <laughs> um, it almost it almost swings into view, and I couldn't. I thought, is that what I thought it was? <laughs> um, but then I, I didn't have the heart to kind of stop it because I was enjoying it too much. But I might have to go back and double check because I'm pretty sure that it makes an appearance. <laughs> That's like that. All that reminds me of is that Alan Partridge bit when he's talking about the Bond intro, um, and he goes, "Oh, bit of bush," and then, he goes, and he goes, "What was that? Too late." Like, oh dear! Fantastic. Right, that's another Nick Cage movie in the record books. I'd love to know if anyone has even heard of this film before, <laughs> let alone even seen it. Um, please get in contact, cagefightingpod at gmail.com or all of the socials at cagefightingpod. 
Um, if you're listening to us now, please make sure you've hit that subscribe button and that you've left us a review because it would thoroughly help us to grow in 2023. Up. So finally, thank you once again for giving us your time this week. We truly appreciate it. And if you could tell a friend, we would love you forever. So for this week, Matthew, would you like to say goodbye? I will do, but firstly, I want to point out, you don't become the Czech Republic's 134th <laughs> most popular TV and film podcast on um, three handsome, balded men alone. So word of mouth goes a long way in the independent podcast world. So please, please, please tell a friend or retweet us when we put a, a pod out or anything like that just to help us grow. We're not here to make millions of dollars and retire or anything like that, but to come out to a, as big an audience of um, as misfits as ourselves would be very much appreciated. Anyway, enough of the lecture. Uh, have a great week and uh, see you next time. Yeah, I mean, if you want to give us money, I mean, we should set up a Patreon just in case. Because, I mean, we are we are all wearing hoodies inside. Andy's even wearing a, a Seahawks hat for his uh, for his sins. Um, we're not putting the heating on yet. We are all all battered by the uh, economic thrush. Um, so, but you know what? If these if people weirdly if these people do exist and they, you are listening to us outside of England or America, just get in touch and, and prove it to us because it, it's just utterly bizarre that the actual stats say that this happens so yeah please do prove yeah, yourselves the 11 percent of the great nation of india yeah. get in touch with us <laughs> like I, I can't even put it down to people listening via a vpn like for, for that i'd expect it to be one percent ish which i mean hong kong i know we do have a listener in hong kong don't we so there are some like Egypt, we've got less than 1%. I can sort of understand that maybe coming from a VPN. So how on earth have we got 11% of the listeners from India? It's just incredible. So, yeah, our Indian our Indian brethren, please get in contact. We'd love to know what you think about Nicolas Cage. Anyway, Stu, say goodbye. Yeah, and, and uh, weird tales of Wolverhampton from the, <laughs> the, the late 2000s, which... For our select group of friends, he's obviously very entertaining. But for people in, in different parts of the world who've got no idea what we're talking about, it's must be baffling. It's <laughs> truly bizarre. Very much like Xander Lee. So, tra everyone. Goodbye. It's goodbye from me and remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>